Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Romberg, it's so great to see you back here behind the yard sign. How are you, sis? Justin, I am great. The sun is out. It feels like we're edging towards summer here in Portland. You know, it never really starts until after the 4th of July. And I know we needed the rain, but the sun is <laughs> the sun is really working for me today. The rest of the country are like at the gates of hell in terms of temperature. Like it's so yes. hot everywhere. And Portland is like, you know, oh, it's warm today. How nice. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> We're so particular about our weather here in the Pacific Northwest. 123 degrees at 11 a.m. in Palm Springs. That's insane. What is happening? So we've got this really wonderful guest that's going to come on today. Her name is Marsha Duncan. She's fantastic. You're going to love her. I've been working with her for a couple of years now, but is really interested in talking to you about this idea of control. Let's let's talk Miss Jackson. If you're nasty, uh, let's talk a little bit of control. (laughs) How do you deal with a client? that wants to control every single aspect of a transaction that they're not capable of controlling. Like they want to control what the buyer is doing when they're the seller, or they want to control what the seller is doing at the buyer, or they want to control what the market is doing, and nobody controls the market. Nobody and everybody controls Ooh, the market. I think that is one of the most challenging things when you have a client that kind of wants their finger in every aspect of the process. I would say people probably approach it really differently. I think for me, I approach it really gingerly. I'm not someone who's going to come in and just say, all right, back off. I'm not bullish about it. I'm going to try and gently help them understand why they should leave it in in my hands. And I think education is a piece of that. I think preparing folks, whether you're on the buying or the selling side, I think making sure you have sat down with your people, you've done an appropriate job of setting the stage. I mean, obviously for buyers right now, it's very much setting the stage for what the market is, what it sort of entails to be in this market, to participate in a way that actually will get you somewhere. Because I think there's plenty of people who are participating in the market, but who are probably never going to be successful because they just aren't willing or able to do what it takes to, you know, make a strong offer in this market. But I think that education piece is really a big part of what makes us useful as real estate agents, prepping clients so that hopefully they trust us enough in the long run to be able to ease back a little bit and and soothe themselves. (laughs) through the stressful process of buying or selling a home. We've built into our process the ability to give a client control when they want it. uh And what that looks like for us is we go through, we stage a house and they come back and they're like, I hate this piece of art over the fireplace. I hate it. You guys are the worst stagers ever. I hate you. I hate everything. (laughs) I hate the entire world. And we're like, oh, you'd like us to change the piece of artwork over the fireplace. We'll absolutely do that. We do one change out for free. We understand. You're not not gonna like everything. We have no crystal ball. We do that one change out for free. And then we also send the letter. I said, this is what you want to have changed out. You want the artwork over the fireplace to be changed out and you want it to be something that is blue instead of red. Like we're very specific about it. Yeah. We make sure that we have a list done. And then also says, we do this once. And after this, you pay us $750 every time you want us to come out there. And we also say, oh, we're gonna do it in one business day. Like it will be taken care of in one business day. We, you have control. Congratulations, you won, you have control. Usually they go, you're just gonna do it. And it's almost like they really wanted yes. the fight. They yes. want someone to fight with. Yes. And when you just lay down and go, we'll do it. <laughs> 
they're like, yes. they're like, oh, you're actually going to make this happen for us. Okay, thank you. Because <laughs> yes, I don't know if a lot of systems have that built into that it, is, you know? Justin, that is absolutely brilliant. I feel like, so this harkens back a little bit to some of my mental health work and my work as a therapist. There's an approach called motivational interviewing, and I won't go super far down the hole about what it is, but it's sort of eliciting the client's own reasons for making change. And one of the big pieces of this sort of therapeutic modality and, and coming towards folks is that you don't give them anything to push on. So you're not saying, you have to make this change. You have to do this thing. It's often used in substance abuse treatment. So you've got to quit drinking, right? You, so you give somebody something to push on and they're going to be like, oh no, I don't. I feel like your technique, <laughs> they're like pushing on you. Hey, hey, I don't like this. I got to change. You got to change that painting. I don't like it. And you're like, okay, great. And you just sort of roll yeah. over. And then they're like, I think this process is so emotionally crazy and stressful and heavy that you're probably doing them a tremendous service by letting them off some energy and some frustration generally to that one picture that's above the fireplace that they don't like. You're probably yeah. doing a great service in the transaction for everybody that's involved in the future by just saying, great, we'll change it out oh, for yeah. you. A lot of home stagers have something in their contract that says that the home stager is the only one allowed to make aesthetic decisions on the project. And so when the client comes back and says, I don't like this coverlet on yeah. this bed, the home stager comes back and says, well, the contract says that yeah. I'm not going to change it out. Blah, and blah, then blah. they're and that's pissed. how you lose business. Then they're yeah. pissed. Which is so funny because in talking about what you're talking about in therapy and social work, I was a wrestler in high school. And if you want another wrestler to go down onto the mat, the best way to do that is to push him up uh-huh. so that he then resists against you. And the second he starts to resist, you pull him down and use his muscles yes. to work with <laughs> you exactly to it. go with him. It's like it's like reverse psychology of wrestling or home staging or real estate agent. Yes. And it's almost like if you want your client to choose a lower sales price, you just keep pushing for a higher sales price and they'll just push against you. Be like, okay, we'll go lower. You know, I'm sure that there's all kinds of techniques in real estate around reverse psychology and getting people to feel like they have control. Because I think a lot of times the person doesn't really care about that piece of art over the fireplace. They don't care. They just want some control because a real estate transaction is, it's wildly out of control at all times, right? Yeah. And it's unfamiliar. I mean, I think that's the other piece that makes us feel like we need to clamp down and try and be in control is, I mean, unless you're a seasoned investor and you do this all the time, I think for most folks, they do purchases a handful of times in their lifetime. And in between purchases, (laughs) they let it all go. They forget the whole process. They don't need to hold that in their brains. And so I think it's the struggle with the unknown as well that makes us feel like we need to clamp down for our own sense of safety and security. And, you know, especially right now when the market is pretty wild. I really try to keep in mind all the time as a client to a service provider. Whenever I'm freaked out about something, I try to call them up and I say, listen, I'm sure that people freak out about this thing all the time and I'm just a sheep like everybody else reacting the same way everybody else does. This is how I'm feeling. How do you usually react to this versus what many of our clients do, which is like, I'm the first person to ever feel like this and I'm the first person to ever go through this and you must come up with a custom solution as to how I am feeling right now. And you're like, listen, lady, this is my 19th transaction this week. (laughs) (laughs) This is your first transaction in your entire life. What you're feeling is super normal. Like you're supposed to feel that way. There's a good way to say that. And there's a really bad way to say that. So how do you deliver the news? You are not special. (laughs) 
<laughs> Everybody feels like this. With real estate, I think one of the main things that makes me useful in a transaction is not just my knowledge of the market and the process, but it's also my ability to hold some space for clients who are freaking out or clients who are just really stressed about it. My ability to stay calm and grounded and hold space and to know that it's not personal. You know, if someone does get really upset or agitated or frustrated about something, just to be with them. Then when they're ready, then when they've gotten it all out, they've done all the whatever, hopefully not yelling and screaming, but whatever it is that they need to do to work through, then sort of trying to bring that together, reflecting back what they might need and trying to come up with a solution that's going to help them feel just a little bit more like they are in control or that they are at least aware enough of what's happening that we can ease that anxiety that, that they carry. And it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is flexing that empathy muscle. Absolutely. It's like recognizing that, that somebody needs that space because so often, you know, we're running our own game and we're doing our own thing and we're not necessarily recognizing when somebody needs a little bit of space, just a touch of grace. If we learned anything from yeah. COVID, everybody yeah. needs an ounce of grace. <laughs> oh just my gosh. a touch. <laughs> I don't like, know, you know, like eight <laughs> ounces of grace, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And it's like, hey, you know what? Sometimes we get upset and that is okay. And yeah. it's all right. My mom is sick and in the hospital this week. And I drove across the entire state to like get to Boise to come hang out with my mom in the hospital. And with the COVID rules still in place, only one person allowed at a time. And so I wasn't able to get in to see her for almost three days. And so I ended up spending the night with her last night, which is great. But when I was talking to my sister, I was like, so I can't go see because my stepdad's ego is being fragile. And she She's like, mm. that's not really the case. And I was like, well, you know, I did drive across the state. I'm here. I'd like to see her before she dies. And my sister was like, well, that was a decision that you made. But this is what the hospital is saying. This is where we are. And I felt like such a such a jerk for not being compassionate in that moment. And I got off the phone. I talked to my other sister and I was like, I was a jerk. And she was like, call her back. And so I picked up the phone and I called her back and I was like, I was a jerk. I'm supposed to be here to help and I'm just making it harder for you. And I'm really sorry. <laughs> she held space for me and she was like, I understand. It's all good. Just have patience with me. And I was like, I will have patience with you. So. Oh, that's um, a, such a perfect example of this, right? Like you had your own process yes. where you were like, I need to kick and scream for just a minute to move it through. Probably, you know, you're stress level, your mom, your, I mean, there's all these things that are coming into play, but you were able to move yeah. through it and be like, Hey sis, oops. Sorry. Yeah. She was kind enough to hold a little bit of space for me. Yeah. And that was really all I needed was just a, a hot minute to be a jerk. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing how guilt makes you feel so much better after you apologize. Yes. <laughs> Um, so we've got Marsha Duncan back in the green room. Great. Um, I think that there are some celebrities showing up later on. I heard something about maybe Ellen DeGeneres, which is awkward because we had Portia de Rossi scheduled at the same time. And I was like, oh, Courtney Cox is going to be here. It's going to be weird. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, you guys. Um, but I think I got Portia to reschedule for next week. So we should be good to go. I'll go back and grab her. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Okay? Excellent. Amy, please welcome to the show Marsha Duncan with Cobalt Banker Bain out of Seattle. Marsha, welcome to the show. What'd you think of the green room? Pretty cool back there, right? Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Justin. Marsha, it's great to see you. I'm so glad you're here. So Marsha, you have been doing this for like 25 years, which is more time than like some agents are old. Thanks for that, Justin. I appreciate that. About... <laughs> 
<laughs> Can you just talk about like what has kept you going in this industry? Like there's been so many ups and so many downs and you're still doing it. And I'm sure you've seen people come and go over the years. Ups, downs, sideways. I'd like to say that I've seen it all. But honestly, after 25 years, what keeps me going is I haven't seen it all. There's always something to learn. There's always something to do. Every transaction's different. Every client is different. Homes are different. Technology is changing at warp speed. While I love some of the structure of the forms and the the processes, the change is what keeps me engaged. Um, The change is what I love. It doesn't get old. I absolutely love what I do. Marsha, as as a new agent, I feel like I have quickly come to understand that the folks that love this business are like you in the sense that they love the fact that all their days are different. They love the fact that there's always a new challenge and a new shift. And I just had this question pop into my head. Is there anything that you really miss from like when you started? Is there anything that you feel like you've gotten away from with all the shifts and changes that have happened? Everything has two sides to it. I would say that technology has really been beneficial in our industry, streamlined things, but it's also made things move at warp speed, which makes it hard for us as agents to sustain that pace. And so kind of what I miss of the old days before there was even, before the Northwest MLS was online, I mean, let's start with that. It was a book, right? <laughs> yeah, just like slow, just like slow cooking. I miss slow real estate, but I don't think we're ever going to get back to that. And so mm-hmm. you have to embrace the change and you have to, to learn to adapt. Honestly, uh, what I miss most is the pace being a little bit slower. It gave us more time to truly connect with people, our clients, our vendors. Now, everybody wants us to go to their app and do it online and you lose this connection. Um, that said, that's the way of the world. So you have to keep moving forward. But yeah. if you ask me what I miss, I miss some of the slow days. That's a great answer. That makes so much sense to me. Nicole Durkin is our producer for this podcast. And Nicole has been an employee with Spade and Archer for almost a year now. And we talked yesterday we've actually never met in person. Like we've been working together for almost a year and we've never actually like shook hands before. Um, And so I totally know what you mean by that. And I'm hoping like as we come out of COVID that those things are going to start to change and be a little bit better. Thank God we've had that technology in place in this time of COVID, right? I couldn't even imagine what my business would look like if I hadn't had the technology and we were facing this type of pandemic. It is interesting. I mean, even as we record this podcast, it sounds like we're all sitting in one room talking to each other. And I think Amy and Nicole are both in Portland Portland, Marcia is, wait, where are you today? Um, I'm on the Hood Canal outside of Seattle, of course, Jefferson County by Port Townsend. And I'm in Boise, Idaho today. So we are all in different places having this conversation as if we're in one room yeah. and our editor makes us sound really smart, like we're all talking together. During the first segment, Amy and I were talking about this idea of control, that control is a big thing that we try to hold on to, not only in our lives, but especially in a, in a real estate transaction. And I'm wondering, as a veteran agent, how how do you help your clients feel like they are in control of this like wild beast that is selling a house or buying a house? How do you do that? I ask myself that often. As we all like to say, it's kind of a cliche, control is an illusion. It doesn't really exist. But <laughs> but to that extent, I think that you have to focus on what you do have control over. If you're trying to control what you have no control over, uh, that's recipe for mm-hmm. you know the loony bin. I think that uh, what I really encourage my clients to do is prepare 
and plan. I like to really educate them about where the market is, what the processes are, what the normal steps are, the segments, and then stumbling blocks around those things. The more you are prepared, the more you've talked about it, the more you've planned for certain contingencies, I think the more in control you will feel in a situation that is beyond anyone's control. We don't control the market. We don't control the interest rates. We don't control the inventory to some extent. So focusing on what you do have control over will set you up for a better experience through the process. So often we have that client that's they're the buyer and they're angry at what the seller is doing. And it's like, yes, but we don't have control over what the seller is doing. And so all we can do is control how we're reacting to them or being proactive with them. And that's a tough one. People really want to be able to exert control over everything around them. And I have a 16 year old son and we're constantly talking about what can you control in the situation? Well, my teacher didn't grade the paper. Yes, but what do you have control <laughs> exactly, over? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, the more imbalanced a market is, the less control, the more perceived control one side or one party has and the less control another party has. And in our market for many years, it seems it seems a seller has more control and the buyer has mm-hmm. less. But I, I disagree. Mm-hmm. If you really look at the processes, you control what you can control and then you plan for contingencies and just be prepared. Yeah. That really helps. If people can understand disappointment or they can understand uh, success, if they really understand the process and have have prepared for it. In a market like we are now where it's, you know, it's considered a quote unquote seller's market. Do you find that the buyers are more stressed out than the sellers or do you find the sellers are more stressed out than the buyers? Well, they're both stressed out for very different reasons. I have not been in a real estate transaction that is stress free. And that is because it is right. It's your home. It's about money. It's safety, security. It's so emotional on, a, on many levels. So both parties are stressed out for very different reasons. I think the, the general market misses right now. The assumption is that it's such a seller's market. Sellers have it so easy. Well, if you're trying to get your home on the market and you're trying to schedule with a painter or a house cleaner or a tile person or a landscaper or a stager, or a stager yes. it's that <laughs> stress. And then on top of that, sellers are in a situation where they're selling a home sometimes and not knowing where they're going next. So it's a fear and stress of the unknown. Many of my clients have chosen not to sell because they're priced out of their current neighborhoods. If they do sell, they could never afford to buy back in. There's stress on both sides. I do think right now buyers buyers have a lot of stress in terms of competing uh, with other yeah. would-be buyers. That is a huge unknown. You know, when you're making an offer and you have to decide where to set your escalation limits, it's very stressful because there's no markers. There's no guideposts. You are throwing it out there and you're jumping off a cliff. The feeling, the emotional feeling is that you could be jumping off a cliff. And that's exactly what it is. So there's stress on both sides. We had a pricing come through at one o'clock this morning. We have this instant pricing tool on our website where you can get a price 24 hours a day. We had one come through at one o'clock this morning, 1.05 a.m. And at 3.30 a.m., I got an email from the real estate agent saying, hey, I have this listing. It's a super fast turnaround. Can you guys stage it this weekend for us? And of course, we're like, no, uh, we're booked until the 22nd of July, which is, you know, four weeks from now. How do you make it so that you never have to send an email at 3.30 in the morning asking for staging to happen three days from now? Because I, I noticed that like all your projects are so smooth, like everything happens. <laughs> it's like everything's in perfect order. There is never a freak out email. Like how do you stay away from that? Thank you for that. Because I'm a planner and because the clients that I choose to work with are going to plan with me, with my guidance. I do get those emails and those calls at 
at off hours uh, with my buyer clients mm-hmm. because they're in the thick of it and there's they're doing their things after their work day. So I need to be available after their work day to accommodate that. But on the seller side, last minute rushes right now, they're just mm-hmm. not possible to put forth your best foot in the market to get your property staged ready for the market. You can't do it anymore in a week or two weeks. I like two or three months to work with my seller clients. And if they need a bigger refresh in terms of tile or maybe an exterior painting job or something something big that we're doing for curb appeal or to increase their price point, I want six months. I really mm-hmm. need six months. Vendors need six months. It's so hard to get folks in quickly like that, whether it's stagers or all the other folks that you need to really prep a listing. Six months is lovely, Marsha. That makes so much sense. I'm listening yeah. really carefully over here to what you do yeah <laughs> if it was if it was like the day after thanksgiving you can get somebody in a week but it's you know if you're in the off season which at this point the off season seems to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller it's like literally thanksgiving day to like christmas day is the off season because we stage a ton of houses between christmas and new year's because everybody wants to go on the market right as january hits mm-hmm. and so when it used to be we used to close during that week and we just don't anymore because we're always busy funny you mention that because i used to say we had two seasons in our seattle area market We had the spring fling and the fall rush. But now November and December for the last two years have been some of my biggest months. It just has not stopped. January used to be dead and January's have been big. So it hasn't stopped. Even before COVID, it hadn't stopped. And then with COVID, when we were all expecting it to stop, it actually sped up. So it's just been almost impossible to predict. We had that weird four weeks in March and April of the first part of COVID where we all kind of shut down and went slow down for a bunch. But then I feel like there was all this pent up demand that made the rest of summertime when we usually would go a little bit quiet in August when people go on vacations and it just didn't happen. And now I'm wondering like, oh, is this the new normal? Like, are we just a a 12 month business? Like, is this how it rolls now? I have no idea how to predict. I have no idea how to staff. And (laughs) it's just craziness. Mm -hmm. What are you finding with folks biggest pain point right now? Like, what are you finding that they're having the hardest time with in terms of the industry? Well, it's different, of course. I think depending on what client type your segment you're working with, there's uh, sellers have different pain points or pressure points than buyers do. I think for sellers right now, it's knowing where they're going to go and what they're going to get before they move, before they make the decision to sell their current nest. What where are they going to nest afterwards? That's a huge pressure point for my sellers. And then you know after that, I would say just timing and getting their their home ready for the market. I mean, I I can't stress enough they have to plan well in advance. It's just been really difficult for vendors to be able to accommodate both the demand and then the the supply chain problems that they're having. It's just been, I don't know if you've tried to order a dishwasher or a microwave or any kind of appliance lately. They may tell you it'll be here in September, but I guarantee you it won't be. I mean, they're going to be another delay. Anything with metal, anything with wood, anything with foam in it. Anything with a computer chip. It's really, really hard. Everything is so much slower. We ordered a a new sofa, my, my personal sofa, like in my house. We ordered it the week before Thanksgiving. It was supposed to arrive for Christmas. We got it at the beginning of May. It takes a long time for everything right now. It's not like it used to be. And I'm sure that as COVID starts to go away, those supply chains are going to start coming back together again. But for right now, like plan 
plan ahead seems to be like the motto of the day. For buyers, their pressure point right now is just lack of inventory, lack of choice, and of course, prices. I mean, many people are just uh, the competition, uh, competition the and pricing bids, and, yeah. and just the financial fortitude that you have to have to be successful in this market. More than that is even if you have that capability, you're asking buyers to stretch and to really stretch for something that they don't love, they kind of like. But the moment they buy it, they want to do X, Y, Z. It's the best of what's out there, but it's not their dream home. That to yeah. me has been kind of difficult when working with buyers in, the, in that you are so fortunate if you find a home that you love. Many of my clients right. are finding homes that, that will do, that are acceptable, that they like, that they, they see the potential to make it into something that they really love. But you're asking them to stretch financially for something that they aren't yes. in love with. That's yeah. a challenge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bid $100,000 over asking for this house that you feel is mediocre. Ooh, yeah. That is a bitter pill to swallow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> What's the biggest lesson you've learned lately? I learn lessons every day. And again, that gets back to why I love this career. I love what I do. But I think the biggest thing that I'm having to embrace right now is I can't want it more than my clients. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, talk about yeah. that. Yes. You know, talk about that. Give me an example of what that looks like. Okay. So w- with sellers right now, one of my big stumbling blocks as an agent and where I tend to bring my value as an agent. In addition to my years of experience, I want to bring value to help set them up to put their best foot forward on the market to maximize their bottom line. Well, from a seller's perspective, when you already know you could list your home at whatever price and it's going to sell, sellers don't necessarily want to put in the effort. And of course, then you add that layer of timing and planning on top of that effort, right? That just adds to the effort. I've just seen it time and time again, where it brings so much more value to the home, to my clients and helps leverage them for their next step. Well, I might say that 10 different ways. I might show that through analyses and photographs and talking about the market. But in the end, it's their decision. And so I can't want it more than they do. And I have to be able to educate and guide and let them decide. And once they've made their decision, it is my job to do it the way they want to do it to the best of my ability and still be professional about it and get the result they're looking for. Um, on the buyer side, it's the same thing, you know, when I'm doing a market analysis for just the other day, a, a property that was listed at 550, 550,000. I could find recent comps that would maybe support 620. They'll ask you, well, where do you think it's going to sell? And I will give them the number that I think it's going to sell if they like that number or if they want to go higher. Again, I educate, guide, and they decide. They pick the number. So I just, I can't want it more than they do. And if they're going to be stretching and putting out the money, it is their decision. I want to do it in a caring, compassionate way that makes them feel comfortable stretching. Because, I mean, it is tough to choose that number. There's that control thing again. As a real estate agent, you can lead the horse to water. You cannot make them drink. Ever been a time in your career where you had to say, we have completely different goals. We shouldn't work together. I'm not the agent for you. Yes. And that is a very powerful position to be in. You truly can make those recommendations and I can make that guidance from a place of, although I won't say neutrality because I'm in the transaction along with my client, but 
I can put their need before my own. If you're new and you're struggling and you just need to get a deal and you've got bills to pay, I would encourage you to embrace the mindset. Not every client is a good client and you can say no. And that will free you up to say yes to something that's beneficial for everybody. You don't have to stick with somebody who's unrealistic, who is going to waste your time and not be successful anyway. It's a very powerful place to be in if you feel like you can fire a client and move on. And honestly, it's the best thing you can do for yourself and ultimately for that would-be buyer, would-be seller. Marsha, this is fantastic. I wish we would have talked two weeks ago. (laughs) I just had my first experience with this. It was sort of building and building. I really think that advice is so empowering. Just your thinking around it. I did exactly that and I have no regrets. It's exactly what needed to happen. I hope lots of people listening (laughs) really absorb that more quickly than I did. So I would add to that is it's better to do it sooner rather than later because later you'll have more time, effort, energy, emotion in it. If you get those senses from the beginning that it is not a good fit, it is okay to say, you know what? I don't think this is going to work out for us. I don't think I'm the one to help you get to where you need to be. But hey, I know somebody else in my office that I think would be a great fit. Feel free to pass on a referral. The first time I took them out, I had that feeling. You know, the more you can work towards your core, the more successful you'll be as an agent. I've found that through referrals, that's how I built a business where I didn't have to fire people. Red flags can be our best friend. But when you are in your fifth or ninth or first transaction, recognizing a red flag and a acknowledging it when your gut says like, this is wrong, this is bad, I shouldn't be here. You push that stuff down a lot because you don't have the experience yet. It is so difficult as a new agent to recognize those red flags. When they start going off, you don't trust your gut because you don't necessarily know. And when you're in your fourth or fifth or sixth transaction, to be able to say, oh, there's a red flag and I should do something about that, it's tough. But when you're in your 20th or 100th or 300th transaction, you start to recognize those patterns. Even with my employees, where I'll have them interacting with an agent, an agent is doing you know step A, B, and C, and I can recognize that and say, agents who do that tend to turn out like this. We should cut ties right now. I always ask them, like, do you feel comfortable doing that? And they're like, no, 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 no. I think we should proceed. And then inevitably, they end up doing exactly what I said they were going to do. And then my employee has to learn that lesson the hard way. I feel like we almost kind of have to go through the learning process of figuring out like when it's not a good fit for us yeah. to be able to like pull that. Yeah. faster. And that's one of the things with, with 25 years experience. When you're in your first couple transactions, you know, learning to trust the fact that it probably will just open you up for so many more things. And, you know, Marsha, like you're talking about referrals and, and folks you invite into your life in a different way. Let's talk about that fear. Marsha, was there ever a time when you considered not being a real estate agent when you were afraid that like you were never going to get a call again? And- well, absolutely. I mean, in, in the time I've been in the business, there have been several what I call market correct and there was one massive recession. One of the hardest things in real estate, yes, we love all the freedom of schedule, but one of the hardest things in real estate is to plan for the future and set yourself up so you have the savings or whatever to pull you through those bad times. So the Great Recession was almost two years long. I was asking myself, okay, real estate's not going to be working out for a while. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. What am I going to do? I had bills stacking up. I had, you know, things that I needed to do. So I almost took a job as a wine distributor for downtown hotels in Seattle. My thought process was is that even through good times and bad, people still drink. (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. You know, and then we even drink more when it's bad. <laughs> but then I was thinking, oh my God, had I made that career shift and then something like COVID happens, look at the hotel industry now. There's no guarantee. I think as a seasoned agent and as a new agent, I would just encourage you to save money from every transaction, put money aside, A, for your taxes, B, for mm-hmm for your future. You know, the general rule of thumb for the general public, most financial advisors will tell you to have six months cash reserves. And I would tell you as a self-employed person, that's not enough. And I would encourage you to have more than that and set it as a goal. Take your monthly expenses, times it by 12, 18. You know, that's what I would encourage you to work towards because you will need to weather some storms to stay in this business. You will need to weather good times and bad times. But I've been doing this so long, I really can't. And I love what I do. So I cannot imagine doing anything else. But there was a time when I considered being a, you know, a wine distributor. I would say have a rainy day fund, but it sounds like you need a rainy two year fund. (laughs) Well, Be prepared. Be flexible to if you're in a situation where you could rent out a room to cut expenses. You know, I think with real estate, we often, especially new in the industry, you're told that you need XYZ in order to do business. And all those things cost money. And I would say all you need is internet, a phone, and your license. That's all you need. You don't need all these paid ads and you don't have to spend a lot of money. Have a sphere of influence. Absolutely. Know people and treat them well. <laughs> I'm trying to get on board with the social media thing. I'm, I'm not, but I'm trying. And that's my next thing that I have to learn in this industry. I think your story is going to revolve around kind of the best and worst day that you had in real estate. So we're just going to combine this as one question. Tell us about the worst day you had in real estate. My worst day in real estate ended up being one of my better days. It was the day that uh, my father passed away and I was, I'd had a listing on the market and I was in the throes of open houses and offer review dates when I got word. And it was just an incredible moment where my client, you know, I was still professional, but I was allowed to be a human. And then also Cobalt Banker Bain, my associates there, they all stepped in to help me out. No questions asked. What do you need? Here you go. And I knew I was leaving it in good hands. And my client was taken care of. I knew the transaction was being handled. And it freed me up to go do what I had to do and be where I needed to be, which was with my dad. So if you're out there and you're looking, I would encourage you to look at your environment, you know, where you're working, who you're working with, who's around you. It's very important. Life's too short to be in a place that's mediocre. So be with the best. As real estate agents, we're independent contractors and it can sometimes feel very, very lonely. And so to be in an organization where you have the emotional freedom to be able to leave and go deal with your family and with your loss and feel like you're going to be taken care of and your clients are be taken care of and you're not going to come back to a complete and total mess where everybody's angry at you. That is a huge thing. I, I love that Cobalt Maker Bain talks about being a family and it sounds like they were really, they, they embraced you and treated you that way, which is wonderful. Yeah, and, and they it's do great. that on a daily basis for smaller things too. I'm just, as independent contractors, we are isolated. We are a little bit out on our own. And so I think it's important to have that kind of that home room where you can check in. And if you have a need, they have the resources and the desire to see you succeed, no matter what it takes. Same with your vendors. You know, we rely so much on outside services for what we do. And they are a reflection 
on us and to our clients. And so surrounding yourself with really good vendors is critical and building those relationships. It's one of the reasons why I use Spade and Archer. We are very lucky to be a part of your team. Uh, number one, because it always goes so smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> number two, because you do great work and we end up with these houses that are prepared perfectly. And when a house is prepared perfectly, it is so much easier to stage it and make it look great. So often we're staging houses like, well, you know, can you cover that giant hole in the wall, you know, with a piece of art? You're like, oh, geez. Sure, we'll take care of that. No problem. Marsha Duncan is a real estate agent with Colwell Banker Bain in Seattle area. You can find her at marshaduncan.colwellbankerbain.com. If you get a chance, work with her. She's fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show, Marsha. I hear that Ellen DeGeneres and Courtney Cox are going to pop into the green room. So if you want to go back there and hang out with them, uh, it'll be great. Thanks so much for being on the show, Marsha. I appreciate it. Thank you. Amy, how delightful is Marsha Duncan? She is just so knowledgeable. I mean, I guess 25 years, like hopefully you're knowledgeable at this point, right? Yes, I so enjoyed that. I really felt like I could sit down and continue talking with her for a long time. I bet she has some great stories. And she's just so kind of even keel about things. I really appreciated that perspective. I know it's great. As I just now am realizing that like as the co-host of being like a rookie first year agent, you are literally our listener. Yes. You are our demographic of <laughs> listeners. So you're asking all those questions that every single one of our listeners wants. Oh, well, I say listener. There's, there's apparently 50 of them right now. Uh, every single one of them is asking. And so thank you for, for being that person, being the avatar for anybody who's interested in this show. Thank oh you. my gosh. The list of questions that I want to interject with when we're in these interviews, I have to make sure I'm not just asking questions from my perspective. Like, hey, how would you handle this scenario? Do it endlessly, please. Got I have a long <laughs> list of questions. So yeah, it's such a gift to be able to talk to so many of the folks we've spoken with. And Marsha particularly, I feel like was just a wealth of information. Update on the green room. So it turns out that all three of them showed up. Ellen DeGeneres, Courtney Cox, and Portia de Rossi. Here's the ironic part of it is that Portia de Rossi and Courtney Cox left together and Ellen stayed. What is that all about? <laughs> Who knows? Marsha is just soaking it in. She's just taking it in. So I got to go to brunch with one of my best friends in the world, Donna Wade, who was a guest on the show a while back. She's a real estate agent in... Uh, in Portland, Oregon yesterday. And we were talking about this idea. She's like, how am I ever going to take a vacation? And we were talking about this idea of like, well, there's kind of two ways you can do it. You can build a team. You can have like a buyer's agent and a listing agent. You have employees and like build a whole organization. Or you can partner up with somebody else that mm -hmm. you think has a similar work ethic to you. And you can take turns taking vacations and covering each other's works. And real estate is one of those really weird things where you have these like politicians, uh, colleagues slash competition. And so they're like politicians. We're like, you're working <laughs> with them, but you're also competing against them. And so like... How do you how do you navigate that space? How do you make that work? How do you ask somebody else for help when they're competing against you for perhaps the same listing, you know? I think that's such a good question. And that's something that I've thought about in so many different ways since I started in this business. And I will say there is one thing I miss from my 13 years at the VA. I miss being able to take a vacation and just, or just turn it off for a minute and not feel like I need to stay connected to my phone in one in one way or another. I've been, been super, 
super lucky. I mean, I do think that I'm trying to build a business that is based on on referrals, that is based very much on the sphere of folks that I know. That means that it doesn't feel like I'm directly in competition with the other agents right around me in my office because we have different groups of folks that we know. I mean, I thought lots about how to manage that. I was pretty lucky. There was an agent who came on, who's also named Amy, um, who came on a bit before I did, Amy Nakayama. She's a wonderful real estate agent in with Windermere also. And we've done some coverage for each other and we've sort of set our agreements. A lot of times you can get anybody to do anything in real estate if you pay them. So, <laughs> I mean, that's always the backup plan is like, which one of the brand new agents in my office, since I am not the newest agent any longer, can I pay to go right. show these folks an open house or, or, or house? Or But it's sort of nice to have a reciprocal agreement with somebody where you do cover each other. I think without that, people get really burnt out in this business. And I can see if you can't find a way to protect a little bit of your time and space, that absolutely happens. So I thought a lot about the team thing. And I mean, I think it would be really lovely at some point to have that be clearly articulated with someone or a group of folks and and have it really outlined clearly. And I think there's a lot of complexities to being on a team too, because it's such a personal business. We all do it our own way. So you really have to be thoughtful about how you put that together. I have 26 people on my team right now and little things like establishing culture. Like during COVID, I was not able to visit my offices and sit down and talk with people. And I finally made it up to Seattle last week and we were in a little group meeting. I was like, what are our core values? And nobody knew our core values. And if you Ah. own a business or if you worked at a business before, knowing what the business's core values are is basically how you make every decision that you make moving forward. And not a single one of my employees knew what any of our core values were. And that's a huge problem that tells me that like, ooh, our culture is not well in place here. Building a team comes with its whole new set of craziness. But being a sole proprietor, being an individual real estate agent, can be incredibly lonely. Yes. Which is why you listen to Behind the Yard Sign because we're like your new best friends. We're telling you all. You are not alone. (laughs) You are not alone. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for that, honestly, Justin. I think when I stepped into this, I was not prepared for the sense of isolation that you sometimes have. And maybe it would be really different if I had been in the office. I mean, all of us have had this experience of the past year being so different than any of us could have ever imagined. I've literally been in my office once when I interviewed with my principal broker and I have never been in since. I mean, I've picked up mail there a couple times and we're just starting to open up again. But the sense of community, I think I would have had being in the office and, you know, seeing so-and-so walk by and being like, oh, hey, can I ask you a question as a new agent? How would you handle this? I think I would have had a lot more of that. I mean, I'm lucky. I do, as you know, I House of Kellen, I am connected to some folks whose opinions, Beth and Daniel Fagan, have just been amazing in terms of, you know, letting me call and run things by them and talk to them. And I have a couple right. agents that I know actually through Glenn, my my partner and, and some of the work she's done that I've kind of really cultivated relationships with because you just need community. Yeah. You can't do it without it. Are you and Glenn married? Yes, we got married for very unromantic reasons relating to health insurance after our son was born. Finally, Glenn was like, all right, let's just do this because I had great health insurance. And so- <laughs> 
Do you prefer partner rather than wife? I go back and forth. I think for a long time, I just use partner because I don't know about you, but there have definitely been scenarios in my life or situations where I'm partner feels a little more vague. And I, there are situations in which I'm more comfortable with that. Probably less so now, like eight years ago, five years ago, maybe even there were probably scenarios. We got married in San Francisco in 2002, Mm -hmm. which is pretty early. The, The marriage, the legal marriage thing even happened until 2004. And in San Francisco, like there was no reason to be closeted. No. They're like, what do you mean you're not gay? Like, it's, it's weird to be not be gay in San Francisco. By the time we moved yeah. to Portland mm-hmm. in like 2007, 2008, it just didn't matter anymore. And so we've just always kind of gone with husband. Once your kid is in school, there's no such thing as the closet anymore because you got to no. go to parent-teacher conferences. Like, you just don't get to anymore because like, in order to protect your kid, you kind of have to be like out and proud. Yeah, <laughs> That's absolutely. That's just the way that it is. Absolutely. But again, going back to real estate. Uh, <laughs> we digress. Um, you kind of have been like chowing down on like a lonely buffet right now because not only are you a real estate agent which is very sole proprietary we are also in covid which is very like social distancing you know you can't bump into somebody in zoom and be like oh my gosh it's so great to see you and have your own individual conversation because you're in a meeting with like 40 other people and one person is speaking it's this like pretend social interaction which it really isn't it's like watching a movie of somebody eating versus eating (laughs) you do not get fulfilled by doing that. You know, I, I think as the, as we come out of this, do you have a plan? Are you going to have a desk in the office? Like, yeah. are you going to try to build situations where you can run into people yeah. and listen to somebody else's phone conversation and be like, oh, that's a great way to handle that. Or that's a terrible way to handle that. What's your plan? I think there's some challenges. I'm sitting here at my desk at home in my office next to, <laughs> next to my wife's desk. And we are rarely working at the same time. So it works out pretty well. I do think that it's going to be challenging for me. The reason that I chose the office where I ended up was definitely related to Beth and also related to the fact that I live on the east side. My kiddo goes to school on the west side. It's a straight shot from his school to the office. And so I set myself up to be like, okay, drop him off, go to the office for a while. That is going to be great. And I also think it's going to be a habit that I have to force myself to do because I love coming home for my second cup of coffee. Like I really feel good at working from home now, but I'm going to have to really build it into my routine that I make sure I go in so that I am having those interactions because we did a community service day. I chose Windermere also in part because of the amount of service work they do and the amount they give back to communities. And so we did a really amazing day last Friday. So there's all these people from my office there and we were all just, it was raining and everybody was geared up and we're all pulling weeds and cutting bamboo. And there was like four people's names who I could actually remember well. I definitely discovered that Zoom is not a good way to learn people's names. It just is not. And maybe that's just me. We're on Zoom right now. And like everybody's name is like printed in the bottom corner. It was as if you walked through life and we're all wearing name badges. Like that just isn't a real thing. I popped into Boise, my hometown. I, I live in Portland. I popped into Boise this past week and I was outside having breakfast with Donna Wade and a woman just walks up and she's like, like, look at you. And she has on a mask. And she's like, look at you. What are you doing in town? And I was like, hey, you. <laughs> and I feel terrible. And, I, and I'm like, I'm like, is this Melissa Mizell? She looks just like Melissa Mizell, who's a woman I worked at at Gensler years and years and years ago. And I was like, and so then she takes off her mask. She's like, it's so great to see you. And I was like, Justin, like, I'm Justin. And she's like, yeah, I'm Angie. And I was like, oh, Angie Karnowski. Okay. But like, I mean, I haven't seen this woman in 25 years like literally 25 years. And so I'm starting to realize that like names are really, really hard. And as hard as it was for us to shut down and go into isolated home mode, it is going to be just as hard for us to turn back 
back on and go into live and in-person mode. And we're going to have to kind of force ourselves out of our comfort zone because right now I like working out at home. I like being able to hang out in my underwear all day long. You know, I I love to be able to like grab a sandwich and just eat. Getting on that plane and flying to the different offices again—that's a whole new. Yeah. I gotta learn that again. Yeah. How are we gonna? How are we gonna do that? I guess we just have to force ourselves. Yeah. I mean, to trace it back to what we started talking about here, we don't get the same sense of fulfillment from Zoom meetings. Being able to bust out of all of this home time is probably really important to a lot of us, and especially for you, Justin, continuing to make sure the core values and the the business that you've set up runs in the way that is true to your heart. That's how you. Create created it. And for me and probably lots of other new agents making connections so that you don't feel so lonely in the field. And so that when you do have a situation like Marsha talked about, where all of a sudden her parent is sick, you're dealing with that too right now, that you have folks that can step in and cover you that know enough about you and and care enough about you. And to have clients that will have compassion (laughs) and be like, look, I know in the middle of a giant transaction right now, and I trust that you're going to make sure I'm taken care of. You know, that's a really big one. When I very, very first started hiring employees, And I was not the person who was going to do every single pricing, every single site visit, every single installation, every single removal, every single like I was doing everything. When I hired my first employees that were going to start doing site visits, I lost three huge clients. They were like, nope, if you're not involved, you're out. And I was like, I understand. And out of the loss of those three huge clients, I gained like 25 more because I had the capacity to take on more work because it wasn't just me anymore. Those transitions, those changes are scary. But unfortunately, in order to grow in order to, as they say, to make an omelet, you got to break a couple of eggs. <laughs> it's yes. just the way that it goes, yeah. right? Amy Romberg, where's the best place for people to find you online? I am easily found amyromberg.com. Heck yeah, I love it. Our producer is Nicole Durkins. She does a fantastic job. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. Our <laughs> editor is Richie. Richie, you always make us sound incredibly intelligent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And he's actually become a really good friend of mine. He's a great guy. You can find us at spade-archer.com. If you have a story that you would like to tell, please reach out to us. We really appreciate all the folks who've reached out. We've got a bit of a waiting list at this point. If you want to get on that waiting list and come tell your story, please reach out to us. You can find us at btys at spade-archer.com. Our music is written and composed and performed. Everything all in-house by Joff Metz. You can find him at fivestarguitars.com. We look forward to seeing you next time. Behind the Yard Sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign is brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager. <laughs>